Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of the Medical Device Success podcast and videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. I am also the host of the MedTech Leaders Community, whose purpose it is to bring MedTech executive leaders and sales and marketing professionals together so they can share resources and expertise, share best practices, give each other feedback, and celebrate successes, all in a platform that's unlike any other. You can learn more at medtechleaders.mn.co. Today's episode is about sales superstars. Where do we find them, and where do they come from? We find some of the answers in the Relentless Recruiting Survey. Superstars in any profession are difficult to find, and many executive leaders are pleasantly surprised when someone rises up out of nowhere and becomes a top performer. Do you aspire to be a sales superstar? Or if you are an executive sales leader, do you wish you had more superstars? In this tumultuous pandemic environment, I'm sure you do. Let's dig into the survey. The reason we're here today is to talk to Kelly Clark and Barry Rogers of Relentless Recruiting about a survey they just conducted of life science executives and sales executives to uh, better understand if there is an overall recruiting and hiring issue in obtaining superstar sales reps. You know, how valuable are these superstar reps? And the survey also takes a look at where these stars came from, their initial skill levels, and the cost of making a bad hire. And I think as we go through this um, presentation that Kelly's going to take us through, both Kelly and Barry, I think we're going to, it's going to lead us into some discussion and some questions that are going to be, that are going to be revealing. But the first thing I'd like to do is um, just get a brief introduction of the relentless team that we have here. It's a much larger team than just Kelly and, and Barry and also a little bit about the company. So Kelly, could you help me with that? Yeah, Ted, uh, appreciate you first of all having us. And um, so a little bit about, about my background. I spent, uh, gosh, probably about 20 years in the medical sales space. Uh, started off with uh, pharmaceuticals and got into device sales and um, was a sales leader for a couple of device companies. Then about four years ago, I started thinking about becoming a, um, a recruiter. And so I investigated and I knew there was something that was missing in recruiting from a leadership standpoint. So I decided to start Relentless Recruiting. And along the way, we are now one of the largest uh, recruiting firms in the country. And Barry joined me about a year ago. And actually, Barry, go ahead and kind of tell a little bit about your background. Sure. So I spent uh, about 28 years in the uh, medical device sales and medical device sales management and leadership, both in very high-end cardiology medical device companies. So all totaled in management at least about 14 years and uh, and got to meet Kelly at one of those stops along the way. and, And so here we are. Excellent. Very good. So you started this four years ago and now how big is your team? 
we have six recruiters and a few admin and um, in the recruiting world that's that's one of the larger ones and so we kind of specialize in device sales rare disease uh, genomic testing and uh, what's nice about our, our team is most of our team are, are former medical sales leaders which is extremely rare and I think that's I know that's a reason why we're successful because we understand sales where I'd say 99% of recruiters, internal and external recruiters, uh, they've never carried the bag or especially not been a, a sales leader. So, uh, yeah, so I'm very, 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 very fortunate to have a, a great team. Right. And four years ago, when you started, did you just start by yourself or did you start with a couple people? How did that work? No, so I had a, one of my own recruiters uh, that I've known for many years. Uh, he was a former sales leader and he just kept on planting the seed that uh, the way that I approached my hiring, he goes, you'd be a great recruiter. You should think about that. And he kept just always bringing it up. And uh, I got to a point in my, in my life that uh, I wanted to, to pivot and I spoke to my wife and, and uh, she was the, probably the only one that didn't think I was crazy that going from a great <laughs> medical career with a salary and a commissions and, and going to straight commission. And so, uh, and really not making a dime for, for six months. That was something that uh, I'm very blessed to have my wife, you know, support me on this. And, uh, but, you know, and I did have a mentor, uh, John Seltzer uh, helped me break in and, and was my mentor and uh, actually he's part of my team now. So it's nice to have him on board, you know, you know because he's the one that, that really uh, helped me um, see that I could do, th- do this at a high level. In addition to, uh, sales representatives recruiting salespeople. You're now also recruiting sales executives at a variety of level and even some high level executives. Correct. And what we really specialize, what we love to do is startup companies uh, from, okay. from the ground floor, the VP uh, of sales all the way down. And uh, we just recently got into IT software engineering. So we brought in uh, an IT recruiter under house now and uh, so we're, we're going deeper within our own accounts, too. Pretty much, uh, we, we try to tell our clients, if, if we can't recruit for you, we can find a recruiter uh, in any space in your company for you. Okay, excellent. Well, very good. Well, let's see. Um, <clears throat> let's move on to the, to the survey, the presentation of the survey. And I can uh, share the screen. And here we go. Um, I'll go ahead and move to the... Uh, well, do you want to give a little more background about the origin of the of the survey before I start moving through the slides? Yeah, just go ahead and go to the next slide, and uh, I think that'd be what we were thinking when we designed this. So, you know, what's fortunate about Rolling Recruiting, we sit around with a bunch of former sales leaders. So we kind of suspected that there are some things that we wish we would have known as sales leaders that we know now as a recruiter, but we had a prove our suspicions. And so what we did was we designed a, a study, a very simple study, just to see if there was an, a, a, a problem throughout medical sales. You know, so we, we sat there and we targeted 65 sales leaders. And uh, we know most of these leaders through our years of, uh, of being in medical sales. And there's a few we didn't know, but we know that uh, they have a great reputation. So we decided to send the survey out of the blue, the 65 sales leaders. Okay. And uh, extremely humbled that we had 60 respond out of 65. So we were hoping for 40. And so we got 60. (laughs) 
And as you see, there's a few, you know, we, we have a couple of CEOs with sales backgrounds. Uh, we had probably have about 15 VPS sales, uh, probably 15, 16 uh, sales directors, and the rest were first line managers. And again, all these are, I would say, the best of the best uh, sales leaders with some of the best companies. Uh, so we fired the, the survey out and we waited for the response. And uh, perfect. Okay, Kelly, we'll move on to the next slide. All right, great. So yeah, as I was saying, this slide is um, really the the slide that a lot of people call me and, and ask me the answer. So uh, and I've been pretty tight-lipped about the answer, but, but it was exactly what we suspected, that if you have a team of 10 reps, how many superstars are on your team? And as Barry just, just mentioned, uh, you know, it was very consistent that 45 of the, of the 60 sales leaders have, uh, you know, two to three superstars. Now, I was uh, speaking to a VP of sales yesterday, and he, you know, I, I mentioned, well, it looks like, you know, any given superstar sales force, there's 30, 30% superstars. He was like, you know, we have 100 people on our sales force, and I don't think we have 30 superstars. I might have a manager that has three that, that answered the survey, but reality is we probably have closer to 15% across yeah, yeah, I would jump in here and say that if there's an error in any direction on this, it would be more likely that there are less than there are more. When you take those hundred salespeople, and now you take the thirty that that maybe sales leaders, their own sales leaders, said they were superstars, and you start comparing the thirty, there's probably fifteen or twenty that are still head and shoulders above the other ten or fifteen. And I guess the key. The key part of this question is, from a percentages standpoint, if you have 10 reps on your team, how many? And so we're talking, you know, from 20 to 30%. Correct. 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 And, uh, and then also we want to point out is, you know, there's some sales leaders, one, you know, one person uh, came in and said they had 10 out of 10. You know, some folks have six or seven and they actually might have the answer. You know, so I want to point that out that there's some people and I pray that there are customers, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but that's uh, and so if somebody's reviewing this and and they answered to say more than than five superstars, uh, we would like to dig in uh, what they're doing that the others aren't. Uh, I think it's very, very important. We can share that. And these are people that you've probably helped with recruiting. So that would be another thing you could go back and look at more carefully is. How did you recruit for them? Who did you present to them? Who did <clears throat> think about who they hired and so on? Yeah, and we actually had a uh, one of our sales leaders, you know, a couple of weeks ago on a LinkedIn post, commented that uh, Relentless Recruiting was able to, out of 10 top President Club winners, we placed eight out of 10 and went through four of those. So obviously uh, very excited that we we're getting that type of results um, and very, you know, humbled that, that we have some sales leaders that go out and limb and, and promote us as well. And if we can just move the, the dial, I mean, basically this is a report card of the industry and, you know, three superstars is, is we can, we all can do better. And if we can just get one additional superstar, we think it's worth it. Um, you know, hopefully we get up to six or seven superstars per team. Sure. Sure. Okay. Should I move to the next slide? Absolutely. Well, it kind of highlights what I was saying, what, what one extra superstar can do. And so the next slide, 
was a question is, you know, if you had any resource, you could add one thing. And so if you're in marketing right now, I'd close your eyes on this slide because uh, none of the 60 sales leaders uh, think that, you know, getting marketing material um, would be their first choice. But you can see that 82 percent would would love to add one more superstar to their team. And that shows you how rare a superstar I thought. When I designed this this question, I put 50% additional budget, uh, and I thought that would bring more sales leaders to pick that one. But as you see, one additional superstar is extremely valuable. But of course, it is a bit biased because you're talking to people with sales backgrounds and a and a you know sales <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no doubt no doubt okay. yeah because I would have thought the better marketing materials could have been a little bit higher uh, because if they're done right, they can be very valuable, but um, still having the right people on the team is a huge deal. Yes. And in fact, my, um, my daughter is who, who is a executive in development sales, home development sales. Uh, obviously they read the book by Jim Collins. Um, you know, one of those books like good to great built to last, whatever, where he constantly uses having the right, the term or the phrase, having the right people on the bus. Uh, And so she says that all the time, whenever I'm talking to her, well, dad, this person wasn't the right person to have on the bus. So I had to let him go. And she uses this bus routine like 10 times in a conversation, but you know, having the right people on the team. I love that. That quote is actually on a website. It's something that's to the fact that the, the people, are great, but the right people is what matters on, on your team. Yeah. So, and that's true. Okay. <clears throat> so now we're on the next slide. Time spent superstars. Yeah. So, you know, this is, there's no right or wrong answer to this. It just is one of those in general. How long does it take to identify if you have a superstar that you hired a superstar? And as recruiters, we usually say, you know, we won't know how well or how poor your hire is for six months. Obviously, we, we, we feel like, you know, we had a true partnership with our sales leaders and with our companies that uh, after a little time, they'll see that uh, hopefully they have more superstars than, than, than poor performers. But it takes time. And, uh, you know, it depends on what industry you're in. Uh, you can be in rare disease where it takes you six months to find your first patient. So it's hard as a sales leader to figure out if your rep is out there doing all the little things to be a superstar or uh, they're just hiding. And so you might be a device rep going in and you have three, four cases on day one, and it's easier to identify that person earlier. And so, but it takes, I would say, you know, it takes a, a sales leader probably anywhere from eight to 12 months to figure out if they have a true superstar. Yeah, I would, I would chime in and say that of, of all of the questions we asked in the survey, this one probably has more variables uh, depending on the type of uh, space, medical cell space the rep is in. You could have somebody that's um, an exceptional sales rep selling disposables in the operating room, but they're not on contract with their two biggest accounts, right? And so, so there's other things that can affect this. The, I think the takeaway here is, is that you can't, you don't determine that overnight. And so if it takes you eight to 12 months uh, and then you land in a place where you think this rep's not going to make it, 
it's expensive. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Right. And for listeners, people that end up listening to this as a podcast, I'm just going to describe this. And that is um, that the respondents, 23% of the respondents felt like it took one to three months to identify a superstar. Uh, uh, 52% felt it took four to 12 months to identify a superstar. 23% felt it could take one to two years to identify the superstar. And then uh, 2% thought it could be two years or more. And as uh, both uh, Kelly and Barry have said, the time it takes could be relative to the type of product service um, technology that they're selling. Correct. Okay. Correct. And I did have a, a sales leader tell me, I like to give my, uh, before I stamp a superstar, I want to give them at least a one new quota adjustment. Maybe their first year, their quota is a little low and then they end up getting a, a bigger quota the next year and they're able to accomplish that. That's how he validates a superstar. Okay. All right. So we're on to the next slide, which is titled better than average. So, yeah. So really honing in on superstars, what do they have that the average rep doesn't or what are they, what's their talent level? So all these traits are, are important. And so, um, and so we sent out, we framed this question to see if there was a, uh, a pattern on, you know, what, what ability a superstar has over the others. And, and we came to find out that it was obviously the drive and will of the superstar that separates them from their peers. And if you move to this, to the next slide, I think it kind of shows a little bit more in depth about this question. Okay. And for listeners, I'm going to say that, you know, the ranking the most important to least important characteristics, the, the, the characteristics that we have here that were in the survey were the first one is strong drive and the will to be successful. The next one is critical thinking skills to problem solve. The third is ability to build relationships. The fourth is clinical selling ability. And the last one is experience from previous companies, which means training, call points, uh, similar past uh, products and strategies. And actually, the way I read these off is actually the ranking that the respondents gave, the importance of ranking that the respondents gave to this. So strong drive and the will to be successful was ranked number one. So we'll go to this next slide, which then uh, gives it a little bit more um, context. Yeah, hones in on and. And I actually saw myself back when I was a sales leader and maybe some mistakes that I did where I didn't really, really didn't weigh, weigh the, the, every aspect, maybe the way I should have. And I'll explain that. So somebody's drive and will to be successful is important. And actually, um, when I was a sales leader, people would ask me uh, as, a, as a candidate would say, well, what, what, what are the top reps doing that the others aren't doing? And my, my go-to answer was, you just have to be relentless. And that's how I named Relentless Recruiting, is uh, if you're relentless, you're going to be fine. But really, what does that mean? I mean, how do I identify that? How do I flush that out in, in an interview? And then also, if I am able to flush it out, are there other aspects that I end up cutting the candidates that maybe are not as weighted as much as somebody's drive and will? And so... On this, uh, on this question, you see that 
70% of these sales leaders, 42 out of 60, they put that as number one, will and drive. And so I'll frame it as I think somebody's drive is their purpose. Um, and then their will is their ability to handle adversity to accomplish their purpose. I mean, who doesn't want to be a, a superstar, right? But what are you willing to fight and do every day to become a superstar? And, um, you know, Barry and I had a nice conversation about this uh, yesterday, and he brought up a, a great point as far as different reps that he had that showed how much grit and the will to be successful. And Barry, yeah. I think you and I shared, uh, actually shared a, 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 rep. Uh, a rep. Yeah, we had a, uh, I actually, in our experience in the past, uh, Kelly and I worked for the same company and we were growing at a very rapid rate and Kelly's region that he was managing got split. They started a new region. I came to build that new region. So I inherited some of Kelly's people and we had a rep that he managed first and then I got, and she struggled at first. But when we found out what her passion was and what really her will and the thing that, that motivated her, she was a nurse and she was extremely focused on patient outcomes. And when we saw what she was willing to do every day, get up and drive two hours to be in another part of her geography by 730 in the morning and just over and over and over again, we said, she's going to be fine. And then while I had her, I got to see her walk walk the stage at a at an annual sales meeting. So I don't know if it was if it was uh, my management ability over Kelly's, <laughs> <laughs> but, but either way, Ooh. we both saw her the same way. And and uh, so that's that's one illustration of that. Yeah, and the, and and what I I didn't expect to to have this question be so glaring, but really, what do you do with this? You know, and and if I was got in a time machine, went back as a sales leader, you know, during, during an interview, um, I would design a lot more questions to bring out, you know, somebody's will and drive. And then I used to give a, a clinical to, to the candidates and do a role play. And I think I unfortunately weighed too much on that. It's important. I mean, this is, all these things are important, but if somebody struggled on their clinical selling role play that on a product that never been trained, I would flush them out. But before, if I went back in time machine and looked at it, I would look at these questions and look at their critical thinking ability came in second in their drive and will to be successful. Uh, and I probably would have made some different decisions because I can coach people on clinical selling. And then, um, and so that's one area that I would, I would tell managers, just double, double check your strategy and teasing out somebody's will and drive. Now, I think that's a really good point because if they have the will drive and the critical thinking skills, they can pick up the clinical selling. Correct. Yeah. And I would right. also point out that as it relates back to working with clients and, and recruiting, one of the biggest challenges we face is that the, the question here that finished dead last is the most important thing to so many clients that we've dealt with. In other words, um, you're, you're talking to the client about an opening and tell me what you're looking for. And what you get most of the time is a very narrow 
or type profile and we don't want to talk to anybody that doesn't check all of these boxes that mostly relate to call points and past products and strategies and you know their experience and where they've been and the way that i think in the real world that plays out is they're looking for somebody that they feel like can do the job pretty well and get up to speed pretty quickly and maybe take advantage of some existing relationships that that rep might have the truth is the person with the strongest drive and the will to be successful it may take them a little longer on the training curve but they're they're going to blow by these other people in the first year at some point and make the company way more money than probably most of the other candidates they were considering that makes sense. And then we have this issue that uh, you guys and I talked about in a preparatory meeting, which, and also we, in some emails that we exchanged of large company versus small company. And I think smaller companies are trying to reduce their risk because if you have five reps, then one rep is responsible for, you know, 20% of the sales, which is a pretty big impact on a, on a small company. And, so you have this chicken and the egg kind of a thing. Do I just go out and get somebody that is experienced, has the call points, has the contacts? Now, maybe you luck out and you get a superstar with that. Okay, that's great. But I think about the profiles I've written in the past, you know, when I manage sales organizations. And you do end up, just on paper, you, there's so many more bullets that go to experience and you don't spend a lot of time putting in the profile a statement that I'm looking for somebody with the will to succeed, you know, strong drive and the will to succeed. That's the key number one thing. And so the profile ends up being deceptive, even though down deep inside, that's what you want. But that doesn't get expressed in the profile that you share with a recruiter. Absolutely. Yeah, and sales leaders also tend to, the, my experience, uh, in, in a big organization, the kind of the higher you go up the food chain, you know, you go from a regional sales manager to area director to VP of sales to et cetera. The higher up you go, it seems the more they, they deal in absolutes. So we hired somebody from that company two years ago and they were a disaster. Yeah. So we'll never hire anybody from that company again. And that is amazingly prevalent and it applies to a lot of different things. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Another thing is I'll tell you uh, best analogy is if you're a football coach and you're hiring a quarterback, you said, you know, send me quarterbacks who can throw the furthest and run the fastest. Tom Brady wouldn't get an interview because he's neither one of those two things. It's, it's between his ears. What makes him successful? It's his will and drive. And a lot of times it's nothing more frustrating that we send resumes that Barry and I and the rest of my team, our, our sales leadership radar goes up going, hey, this person's special. They don't check all the boxes. Unfortunately, some of those folks don't ever make it to the, the regional manager because they're being blocked up front by uh, the gatekeeper that's, that's rolled out the, uh, the requirements. And right. um, so... That's, that's something that's another area where now as, as former sales leaders, we see how the sausage is made and there's a lot of, a lot of uh, issues that I think uh, managers would be very interested in learning how, you know, how we go about and find these top talented superstars. It takes a little time. It's not, we have a, a shelf full of superstars who just open it up and, and grab a bunch and, 
unfortunately, there's a lot of recruiters out there that just post on job boards and that's all they do. And, and same way with internal recruiters, they don't dive into these aspects when they're vetting their candidates. And again, I guess it just goes to show you there's not enough crazy sales leaders to leave their careers and become recruiters. <laughs> so uh, we see it. I think we're kind of unique um, in this aspect of, of identifying talent. Okay. And before I move on, let's see what the next slide is here. Um, okay, so this is interesting. So the next slide is finding superstars. Where did the majority of your superstar reps come from? Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, obviously I'm glad that it has turned out the way it did because you know, we're external recruiters. And so that looks like we're three times more likely to find you a superstar because that's all we do. I mean, we were always on the hunt. We're looking. So that's, that's you know, if you're, if you're a, a sales leader getting some pushback by your company but by not going out and using an external recruiter, show them the slide. One thing that I also want to point out is I'm I'm prime example is when I left pharmaceuticals and went into device sales, a recruiter found me. And I was definitely the dark horse uh, candidate. The manager that hired me stuck his neck out. And so anyway, he hired me and I did well. And I was able to bring two other superstars to him that he hired. And so really the company only paid um, one fee and ended up getting three really, really good talented people that we all became managers later. And so, and that's probably why the second graph shows that, you know, the, the second place where superstars come from are from other current employees. Uh-huh. And uh, so there's, and, and Barry, you know, I know you see it, we, we play somebody and then uh, at a company and then six months later we hear that person referred another candidate to the company and, and that person got the internal uh, fee, which is great. We're happy for the, for the company, but it kind of goes shows you that it happens every day. Yep. So, so for um, podcast listeners, I'll just say that 5% of the uh, superstars came from internal HR recruiters. That means recruiters that resided inside a company, human resources recruiters, 63% of the superstars came from, external recruiting agencies like Relentless Recruiting. 20% came from sales employees. In other words, a sales employee referring somebody in saying, hey, you got to hire this person for this position that's open. And then 12% were others. So uh, that is a very interesting uh, statistic that you have there. Another note I'll tell you, most of the time, external recruiters are paid on a contingent contract, which means that the company doesn't pay us, even though we can work for two months on an opening, if we don't find the candidate they hire, there's no charge to, to the uh, to the company. So basically, okay. what, do you, what do you got to lose? <laughs> Get yeah. an external recruiter in. Exactly. Yeah, because most of my hiring, when I was in a position of um, leadership in a sales organization, we always started with an external recruiter who would, you know, go through a lot of resumes, a lot of searching, and then give us their top five, six, seven people that then we would start interviewing. Uh, very to, good. Okay. And to that point, I will tell you that we're, we're very fortunate to have some great internal recruiters that we, we partner with. And we're true partners. And I, I kind of equate it to it's a, it's a relay race where 
when they call us, they hand the baton over to us and we start running for them. The companies that seem to run against us, their turnover recruiters are trying to find the can at the same time. Mm-hmm. That does pose a, an issue. And so sure. we, we try to avoid situations like that. Sure. Okay. Should we take a look at the next slide? Absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. So this one, the question is, what makes a superstar rep? And it's uh, focusing on the superstar reps you hired. Did they have the strongest background when you interviewed them? Barry, you want to chime in on this? Yeah, I'd be glad to. I'm going to beat this drum a little bit again, but overwhelmingly, the majority of the direction we get when we're getting ready to start working an opening is we want these people to have all these experiences. And as you can see here, 70% of the 60 wanted reps that have some solid backgrounds or their superstars had some solid background, but most did not have all the qualifications they needed and, and needed to be developed. But they had the, the will to succeed and the strong drive and the, and the tools to do it. 13% didn't have the ideal background or qualifications, but won the job through the interview process. So I've hired people like that. Um, I've also probably passed on people like that that I should have hired. So anyway, Kelly, I don't know if you want to add something else. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when I think of this is they didn't check all the boxes and that were, were required. And I'm sure a sales leader stuck their neck out. And I've hired uh, some, some folks, especially when I was in device, I would hire pharmaceutical reps, even though there's a lot of companies that, that for a reason, they think that uh, just because you're on one side of medical sales, you can't do the other. And I was living proof that I made the leap and it was my will and drive. And so I would find others. And so at LiveSell, when I was a, a sales leader there, I'd say half the sales force became, came from pharmaceuticals and they were, were extremely dominant. The companies got bought out three times. And so it's, it just, it's still just a dominant force in the space. But if they passed on pharmaceutical reps or reps with different backgrounds, I don't think they've ever been as, as successful as they were. Sure. And I, I look at this and I think about some of the hires that I made. And it's this whole thing. You're in the recruiting process. You're in the interview process. And the first day of interviews, you might have, um, let's say you had five interview, five candidates and you have somebody that after that first day, you sort of have them ranked. And these are just the introductory interviews, maybe third place, which qualifies them for a second round. But it's because they haven't checked all the boxes. They did really well in the interview, but you're still sort of working off the boxes with, with what's been checked or not checked, past experience and so on and so forth. But then you get into that next interview or you get into checking references and suddenly new information starts to come out and that person then ranks second, then suddenly they're in first place at the end of the whole process. And you're somewhat surprised and you're like, wow, you know, this person really came through and uh, you know, like the interview, like a, like a reference check question, which everybody gives you a couple doctors for reference checks, right? Or at least in my experience, Mm -hmm. they did. And so you call a doctor up and the first thing the doctor always says is, Oh yeah, Joe is a, a terrific guy. He was really good in the office. Everybody liked him, blah, 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 which sounds like an endorsement. But then I would say, well, you have a lot of people calling your office. You have a lot of reps calling your office. And if you think about the persons or per- person or persons that you and your staff look at as 
really the most professional reps that come into your office on a scale of 10 and that person's a 10, where would you rank Joe? Yep. And wow, that really knocked some people out of contention. You know, they suddenly they were ranked, they, they would give them a seven or eight. And in my mind, they're being nice, which means they're really a six or a seven. And I'm like, that's not the person I want. So it's, um, it's, a, it's interesting how certain things, if you do it right, can bring these uh, superstar reps to the fore. Well, yeah, we talked um, about this. I'm sorry, Kelly. Go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. Well, we talked about this yesterday for a little bit. You know, the, the question that I used to love to ask is, what did you do to prepare for this interview? And the rep that's over here in the 17% column that checks all the boxes, uh, very often their attitude is, oh, I'm familiar with the company. I mean, I, I've, I knew so-and-so, and, -so and I, I did go look at the website. The rep that didn't have the ideal background or experiences, uh, that rep that, that comes back to you and answers that question with, I spoke to these three doctors, I reached out to this person and this person and, and did a litany of things above and beyond to prepare for the interview. That person told me how they were going to prepare to go manage their territory every day. And that was a, that was a big thing for me when I was trying to flush out who might be a superstar. Yeah, I about, about to say is when you're looking at somebody's resume, I always thought we're going in business together. You know, it doesn't matter if you're going into medical sales or opening up a Subway sandwich shop is does this person resume make sense on why they made a move? And some people are like, oh, there's too many hops on a resume. Well, did each move make sense because they're trying to develop their career and sometimes opportunities come at, 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 at bad times. You have to make a decision. When I got out of the military, um, you know, Pfizer was the only company that uh, had any interest in me, you know, so I, I was very fortunate to land with them. And I went from making very little money to making a comfortable living and providing for my family. So there's no shame. But it was funny when I was interviewing for device companies, some of them just passed on me because I didn't have OR experience and they honed in on, on me being in pharmaceuticals. And I was like, that was the best job that I could get. And I loved the job and they, and I, and that was a great company, great experience and there's no shame. And so it really boils down to is, did I wish that a device company would have hired me right out of military? Absolutely. But I got to where I was going to uh, get to through hard work and, and keeping my eyes and ears open. Absolutely. And big companies also can be great training grounds. They have all sorts of resources. Correct. I think a big, a big company is a great anchor to a resume. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, okay. All right, so next slide. next slide. So what is the cost of a bad sales hire? Um, so this is interesting. Um, in, this is an interesting s slide because we're talking about trying to find superstar reps but what if you don't look for the will to succeed and the drive and the critical thinking skills and you end up with something that somebody that's mediocre or just not that good? What is the cost? Let me kind of give you the background why we framed this question. Because when I'm a recruiter, I might have a, an HR person call me and they're asking, obviously, why we're different than other recruiting firms. And I try to explain the cost. Of, of a poor hire that unfortunately goes in one ear out the, out the other ear. 
And so I was searching for information about this. And so Dr. Smart wrote a book called Top Graders. He looked at this. I started kind of teasing out what he was looking at cost. And uh, and I started thinking about my own poor hires. And I had a a poor hire that turned one of my territories into, you know, it was a $4 million territory into a $2 million territory within about six, seven months. (laughs) And so... On the way out the door, I found out that he lost uh, one of our key hospitals too, and so that was another couple million dollars. Uh, took us about three years. So I know personally, it's super expensive. Sometimes companies don't really look at acquisition costs to pay for recruiters to reduce the overall cost of a poor hire, and uh, so that's where this this question came from. Again, it, it was more of a theory. And uh, as you see, you know, most of the um, sales leaders think that, you know, $560,000 is about right for poor hire. Um, and then there's some that are over 700000 I, me personally, fall in on the higher side, uh, my experiences. And it really depends on how large your, how large your company is. Uh, one of the uh, sales leaders told me that uh, he put the three fifty because he's with a startup and most of his reps have less than a million dollar quota. So it, it definitely predicates on your your company and the quotas. And when I have a poor hire, it hurts more for a startup, even though they lose, lose less money per, per capita, but it's it's very painful. Uh, and we can't right. make, we can't afford to make too many bad hires. And just for the uh, podcast listeners, when you think about what what's included in um, the cost of a bad hire, it'd be the reps compensation the hiring costs, decreased sales, opportunity costs to grow sales, and then disruption costs. And I, you know, the whole area of disruption, that is a huge cost because if somebody, if it's, maybe it's their personality issues and in addition to poor performance, other reps do not like to be in the company of somebody that doesn't perform or somebody that seeds discord in a company that brings them down too. They don't want that. They want to be, you know, soaring with eagles, so to speak. You're spot on. And I would also just, you know, echo is nothing's more miserable as a sales manager, weeding a poor performer out. And what's going, what's happening is that poor, poor performer is poisoning the well with the customers. They're yep. poisoning the well with, the, with their, their peers. And they're trying their best to take some more people out with them. And we do have some solutions we'll talk about that we can hopefully help some of these sales leaders with that stress and burden. And HR, to their credit, they're making sure that they're not, you know, terminating good employees. And there's another reason why they're, they require so much documentation is because if you get rid of too many employees, it, it affects your unemployment insurance. And that's what Dr. Smart didn't talk about on his, on his analysis is unemployment insurance, but we all pay it as companies. But if you terminate enough employees, your rates go up. It's almost like car insurance. The more accidents you have, it's going to go up. So not only are you going to lose $560,000 on a poor hire, you're going to get a tax bill for an extra 2 to 3% the next year, which if you're a $100 million year company, it could be 2 to $3 million. So I just envision this boardroom with you, you terminate 10, 10 candidates or 10 uh, hires that year, 
you know, that's $5 million right there. And then you put in a couple million dollars and you just set it on fire. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it is super expensive. And unfortunately, I don't think some people give it the respect that it deserves. All right. So let's move to the next slide. That's sort of a segue. So this is this also is the next slide is time spent, poor hires. How long does it usually take to determine a poor hire? If you're fortunate, and there's some some of my past hires, you know, exposed their, you know, incompetencies faster than others. Um, and, and I also will mention that a lot of poor hires are great people. They just happen to be in the wrong profession. Yeah. And so uh, I don't want to demonize, uh, and that's that's what's hard for for sales leaders is trying to figure out if you can coach them and uh, and get them up to speed, and then so that takes time, you know. So, and really, if you use that five hundred sixty thousand as as your barometer of a poor hire, that's about forty thousand dollars a month. That you know, every month you keep a poor hire on, you're losing. And so the, and there's a lot of managers that, you know, they have to wait till their new hire gets through training. And then as an earlier slide, there's a lot of different dynamics with medical companies. It could be rare disease. It's a long cycle, capital sales, devices. And so just because you identified somebody a year down the road, that could be extremely fast in your industry versus maybe a device manager identifies somebody about four or five months. And so let's just say, I'd say for argument's sake, the number's probably about eight months that you really know that you have a problem. Yeah, I would probably agree with that because if you have a well-defined sales process that everybody's agreed is effective, you know, for your products, maybe there's a, a different sales process for different products that you have in your, in the portfolio of a company, you can at least also start seeing that somebody's not really following the sales process. They're resisting it, even though it's been proven. Um, and that, that could be your earliest sign, but yeah, I, w- I would probably agree that it takes that time to be in the field, to work with people, to evaluate what's happening, to see, you know, and what's not happening. So I'll also say that we have clients that hire multiple recruiters at once, different firms. And it definitely is a bruise or ego when a company or a hiring manager hires a candidate, not from relentless recruiting from another company. And the back of our mind, I'm thinking about this slide is like, did you go too fast? You know, I, I hope you made a, a great hire because I know how painful it is to make a poor hire. But don't judge your your search firms by the speed because you should be judging your search firms by the results. And I I, I think and I, I ask my own customers to review the the folks that we place with them so we can get better and, and come up with better strategies. But I can tell that's a very foreign concept with a lot of sales leaders. Right. And that, you know, so don't don't think about speed, think about quality. Yeah, there's a there's another aspect to having, you know, the idea is pretty simple to get your head around. The more people I have looking, the quicker I'm going to get candidates, right, to talk to you. The truth is, is if you have Kelly on the phone with a candidate who's explaining the opportunity and 
trying to make the candidate understand that this looks like a really nice next logical step in your career and gets them interested in the opportunity, he's relying on 20 plus years of medical sales leadership and his understanding of the space versus maybe another recruiter who's focused on getting as many resumes over as they can uh, just to get a fee. So, and they may not manage that conversation correctly and the candidate's not interested even if they find them. But once they've talked to them, then we're off limits. So they don't belong to us. They're, they're going to say, we've already talked to somebody else about this and I wasn't interested or, or I got submitted. But either way, it, it's, it's kind of a race that gets messy. Well, it's, it's talking about, you know, companies are involved in so much quality control about every other aspect of their business. You know, if they're, you know, ISO 9001 or um, 13485, you know, so that they can sell a product overseas and in the United States. So they just need to apply a quality process to the recruiting. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Okay. Let's move on to the next slide. And this one is junior reps because we were you're asking about what you call a junior rep and what is your overarching opinion regarding junior sales junior or slash sales associate reps. Define for people what a junior rep is or a sales associate rep. Yeah, so um, and, and I'll tell you why I put this question as well in in this questionnaire is so an associate sometimes called junior rep in theory you're hiring uh, a candidate with probably very low experience in medical sales. For less money. Yeah, maybe a a B2B rep that's outside and they're breaking into medical sales. And so there's, uh, in theory, just say you have a high performer in Dallas, Texas, and that person's quota is $5 million. And, but that rep is is being um, tied down with more admin responsibilities because of of how busy they are. So they they hire a junior rep to come in and mirror that territory and basically do uh, a lot of the servicing, uh, not the really the selling part, but a lot of the servicing, which allows free time for this the true sales rep to go out there and drive more sales. As time goes on, the hopes is that the junior rep gets the experience they needed, they know uh, about uh, the products, and then they expand Dallas into two, two territories. And now, now you have somebody that's plugged and play where they know the customers, they know the, the product, and then and they know the processes. So again, sounds like a great idea. But throughout my four years of recruiting, I, I keep having VP of sales ask me my opinion. And so I can only relay on my own experiences when we had junior reps. Um, it was not even a, really a coin flip. It's probably 25% of the time I would I could groom a junior rep into a, a really good territory manager. Most of the time, they were pretty limited. Um, and, and they hit their ceiling. And it could be a will and drive scenario. But you couldn't get rid of them because they were doing their job, but then they would get upset because you wouldn't promote them because you would go out to free agency during an opening and find a, find a rep that has a lot more depth and ability. I I brought this. I do have customers that are trying to bring in entry level people, train them the way they want to, and then have them all become 
sales reps with their company. And so, so if we're reading, if we're reading this, uh, res- the response of the respondents, uh, what you see here is that 47% of um, the respondents say that 50% of the uh, junior sales associate reps become great, in other words, superstar sales reps. And 42% of the respondents said that 25% of the uh, junior sales associate reps become, you know, superstar reps. So um, that's, those are pretty good percentages. And so, but it goes back to the value of making a good hire in the first place, you know, good training to make sure that this person can see their potential. It could be a trap for, for sales leaders that they feel like, uh, somebody did a, a pretty good job as a sales junior rep that they deserve to get promoted. Yeah. And true. what happens is uh, they water their sales force down when they should, you know, it should be a competition and you should bring in the best of the best uh, candidates and your number one job as a sales leader is hire well. Right. But there's a loyalty and I completely understand the loyalty of trying to promote somebody but you're, you might be doing yourself a disservice long-term. Sure, sure. All right, so we can, uh, let's move on to the um, uh, next one. Trialing new hires. And so the question is, if you could terminate a new rep up to 12 months after hiring for any reason, and that is without any repercussions, how valuable would you find uh, this tool or so-called trial period to be? Yeah, so basically if if you're a sales leader and you're six months into hiring a new hire and you're like, this person is going to be average at best and it's probably below average. Then what you do is you bubble that up to the VP of sales and you explain it was a, it was a bad decision. You usually blame the outside recruiter, which it comes with the territory. <laughs> and, uh, sure. So, uh, but what happens is, is it's not that easy to, to determinate somebody because HR wants a documentation. And this is where all this starts unraveling. And it's a huge time waste. So what I, what, why I asked this question is, wouldn't it be great that you could just terminate who you want to terminate and then replace them uh, as fast as you can and just build a really strong sales force? And we always used to say, you know, the, the sales force strength is only as strong as the weakest link of that sales force. And so what we've been doing at Relentless Recruiting, we've been thinking about solutions. How, you know, how, how can we help? And we just signed a, uh, a contract that will allow us to offer contingent salespeople. Some people call it contract sales reps. And I wanted to find that real quick is a contingent sales rep gets full benefits. They get 401k, they get insurance. The only thing different is their paycheck is not the company they're, they're, they're technically servicing. And so pharmaceutical companies use contract sales reps. Uh, it has a negative connotation to it. They're, they're, they're kind of like JV reps. And, but in reality is it's a growing industry. And I see the value in it now where you have higher, higher skill set people, especially during COVID, time they'll they'll take on a contingent role for a company that allows the hiring manager you know they tell us hey kelly give us six months trial period and we'll move them over into 
a W-2 for us, not for, for you. And um, so it's as simple as a phone call four months into it. They're like, Kelly, we made a bad, bad hire. Let's, let's find somebody else. We can cancel the contract. And so it doesn't affect the uh, unemployment insurance for that company. It affects our employment insurance. And so I think it's a, it's a handy tool if used correctly. We just talked about the junior sales rep. Maybe that's a good starting point given you know, the likelihood of that junior rep becoming a, a superstar. Right. So in this graph, 65% of the respondents felt like it would be a tremendous, uh, tremendously valuable tool. 22% thought it would be marginally valuable. 13% said it would be not valuable. So majority of people felt like um, it could be a valuable tool used correctly. Correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'd like to, I'll make one point here. I was at a company where we were about to start doing this. And the only reason I wasn't a fan of it is because as the sales leader responsible for that quota for that region, I was going to be giving no input on who they sent me. And so we wouldn't do it that way. I'd like to clarify that. We, you know, we're going to, we'll send you three people. You tell us you don't like any of them or you like one of them or, or we're going to, we're going to keep doing it until you like somebody. Right. I'll give you an example, a startup company, they hired their first hundred sales reps all on contingents. And then at six months, they brought the ones they wanted over and went and hired uh, other, other folks. They, they were able to identify the right type of, of, of rep they wanted. And they were getting into a new space so startup companies can find a lot of value in this. Uh, and the other aspect of it is I was talking to a uh, commercial sales operator and he said that it looks really good on paper for startup companies that have their sales force as more consultants, not as hard costs that they're W-2s. And so they're able to raise more money and they can throttle their sales force faster or, or slow it down. And uh, that's why like pharmaceutical companies, you think about it is when their drug is about to run out of patent, they'll shift their W-2 employees to a different division in that company. And then they'll hire contract reps to run out the patent for two years. And the reason why is when they cancel those contracts, it doesn't affect their unemployment insurance, which could be millions of dollars each year for that. So it's, a, it's there's a reason that people want to understand it more give me a call and, and I'll be able to, to figure out if it's a right, right fit for your company. And the way this is done, so let's say it's a, a small startup that has um, just gotten some like B or C round financing. It's going to allow them, it's a medical device, maybe a capital device. It's going to allow them to put five people on the ground, you know, to get started. So a small team like that, you could help somebody with a small team of three, five or 10 reps. Absolutely. And we have the ability now to go up to probably, you know, five, we have 500 million in backing. So we can, we, and that's just with one of our sources. So we can scale up from one person to 500. So it's, it's exciting. We're, we're excited. And that's, and the survey just compounded our interest in expanding into this contract. And I think that's something you'll see moving forward, especially in the COVID, because you think about all the people who have been severance, their unemployment insurance is going to go sky high next year. So you'll see this be a big push. 
Now, in, in this particular case, so let's say somebody has used your service and um, they've hired five reps. Are they then managing the reps and training them, doing all that? They're just not doing the HR side, which is paying them, you know, benefits and so on, which you do, or does Relentless get involved at all in the management of the person, the actual performance management? Yeah. So great question. So the rep is being trained by the host company. Uh, And so, and the, the manager of that medical company is, is supervising the, the sales rep. However, when it comes to, a uh, performance issues, coaching, like, and, you know, performance plan or something that goes over to us where we'll have a, a liaison manager to manage that person. You know, people are familiar with pharmaceuticals. I know there's some big device companies that are doing it as well, but there is a liaison and um, that is, that's brought in to help coach up poor performers. And then if you can't coach them up and then obviously you're going to uh, have to severance the contract. Now, candidates were like, well, I don't want to sign up for a, a contract role knowing that we can, you can terminate it. And we just say, well, if you're a poor, poor performer, it doesn't matter if you're W-2 or contingent, they're going to let you go anyway. <laughs> I mean, so right. it's just, if you're a top performer, you're going to make the same amount of money that you would as a W-2 for them. And there are clients that actually liked how, how this is set up. And there's, sales reps that like like it because they get actually better insurance. Another the the entity that we are working with has sixty thousand contingent employees. And so the insurance is phenomenal. Right. Right. Yeah, I would I would imagine it's possible that they'd end up with be- better benefits in your program than they would for a small they would. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So the next slide, um, which I is this our final slide? Yep. This is it. Uh, there's one more slide, I think, uh, just the team. and uh, But, yeah, that's pretty much we're at the end of this. So talk about Jim Collins. Here you go. There people you go. Are, uh, people yeah. are not your most important asset. They're the right people are. Jim Collins, author of Good to Great. Absolutely. So, and then we have a um, who we are and why you should know us slide. It's a nice picture of the team and reinforces the fact that you're one of the largest medical sales recruiting firms in the United States. Excellent. That's That's really terrific. And I was just looking over the questions that I had down. We addressed some of these, the, you know, the questions, how do you essentially reveal these, this will to succeed, this drive, and also the critical thinking uh, skills. Those were a couple of questions. We talked a little bit about that. Any, other, any further thoughts on sorting out if people have these skills? Yeah, I'll chime in real quick. Is uh, One of the best I guess, tools, a a former manager who who helped me develop into sales leadership. He said, look at somebody's resume. And when they first took on a job and hopefully they won presence club the first year, then maybe they, they won presence club the second year. And then they got rolled up into their quota and maybe their third year wasn't a presence club year. And then the fourth year, there was another presence club year hone in and hone in on that that third year because that shows they didn't quit and you know they had a big quota and that shows that their ability to handle adversity and then ask them what they did you're trying to get in their mind 
and versus there's some there's some sales reps that are really good picking up low hanging fruit, and once they get a, a real quota, they they haul butt to a different company, and yeah. and so but that you're trying to get inside their mind and is and ask them specifically what did they do that third year to get them back on top on the fourth year. Fortunately, a lot of great superstars don't realize they're superstars. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's amazing. Um, so that's just a little trick of the trade or, or ask them, you know, uh, my, you know, what's the hardest goal you ever accomplished and sit back and listen to how they, how they analyze uh, and, and problem solve and put a lot of time and effort in accomplishing a goal. I'd add that uh, all of those things are very, very true and accurate. But I think if we just got sales leaders to focus on grasp the idea that the most important thing is the will and desire to succeed, instead of looking at a resume and going, okay, call points, general surgery, colorectal, bariatric, uh, you know, these hospitals, okay, you might be a fit. Uh, instead of that, just look at the results of the survey, and if you agree with it, then uh, as you're as you're interviewing and going through the process, there's probably a lot of ways to flesh out that will and desire, uh, but you won't if you're not focused on it. And then another thing we talked about the other day was, um, you know, skills necessary in this new world that we live in, a, a virtual world, so to speak. And I think, uh, Barry, you made the comment that uh, one of the clients recently came back with pretty significant differences in what they were looking for in terms of candidates. Yeah. So we helped a company at the first of the year pre-COVID with an ex a pretty good size expansion. Uh, at the time, they had a profile. Um, I can tell you it was a, it was a diagnostics company, and they wanted people with, with, with really solid high-level diagnostic experience. We wound up placing quite a few of them. After COVID, or, or once COVID started, um, about six weeks ago or so, a few more openings popped up. And I was surprised to learn that the profile had drastically changed. And it went from diagno having diagnostic experience to we need people with relationships in this very specific specialty. And the reason for that is, is because those people that had relationships have been successful scheduling Zoom meetings and virtual interactions with the customer that allowed them to continue to sell the product. While the person that might just be a, a superstar diagnostic sales rep would have to be out trying to build those relationships and would probably be very successful at that. But because access became so challenging, um, they changed their, their whole profile. But that could actually end up being a bit of a trap. Could be. Because if you focus on the relationships, I mean, there are people that have the relationships, but if they can't close a deal, and, and I would think that if somebody really had the will and the drive to succeed, and then they had good critical thinking skills, I would could imagine find that they could be trained and pick up the skills to you know, work virtually and to prospect virtually and so on and so forth. That's interesting though. It is interesting. So they identified something. They think they're making a good change in the profile, but we don't know. Well, and two years from now, if, if hopefully COVID's behind us, you might find out that 
the superstar diagnostic experienced reps are far outperforming the, the profile that they're hiring for today. Yeah. Any thoughts, Kelly, before you? No, just, you know, basically, again, the report card is three superstars per, you know, per team of 10. And always realize when you're narrowing down the field, the odds of you finding a superstar in a very narrow focus just increases. And so basically, you know, good luck, you know, and, and, and it takes, you know, it takes the right strategy and a partnership with, with recruiters to get the right talent to interview. I agree hundred percent. Well, this has been terrific. And for everybody that's watching or listening, I guess I would just say that uh, the, the import of getting the right people on the bus, the right people on the team is so important. And it goes back to really defining a process to get that done and to identify these key characteristics. And um, if you can do that, you're going to have a lot more success. Yeah. Completely agree. Okay. Well, Kelly, Barry, thank you very, very, very much. I, I think there's other subject matter we can come back to in another um, uh, podcast, videocast sometime in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for having us. Oh, you're welcome. That was really interesting. And I look forward to more surveys coming out of Kelly's team in the future. If you are searching for a superstar, do you know how to identify these traits in the interview process? Kelly and Barry just shared some great ideas. If you believe you are a superstar with strong drive, the will to succeed, and critical thinking skills, does it show up in your performance? If not, have you thought about what's holding you back? If you have a successful sales career and are looking to protect your position or for a new job or to move up, do you know how to communicate these traits in the interview process? Make sure you can and practice communicating. You have lots to think about. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. If you like this podcast and videocast, please recommend it, share it with a friend, rate it, and subscribe. Now go win your week. <laughs>